Welcome to This Week in Location-Based Marketing with your hosts, Asif Khan and Abriana Lopez. All right, we are back with your favorite podcast show of the week. This is This Week in Location-Based Marketing, episode number 436. Yes, uh, another show, another great set of news stories. Um, and uh, I thought this week uh, we'd change it up a little week, if you, a little bit. If you're used to watching this show, um, we want you to hear right off the bat that we want you to be part of the show. So if you've got story ideas, if you've got feedback, if you've got uh, you know, great ideas on how to make this show better. We want to hear about it. So, um, yeah, you know, like we've been at this for 436 episodes, so, you know, <laughs> it's time for time, time to shake it up a little bit. So, um, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, if you're watching the video, the contact information's at the end of the show. Um, if you're listening, we're easily found on LinkedIn and all those other, um, amazing social channels. So just reach out to us and, and let us know what you think. Um, we'd love to, uh, to hear about it. So, yeah. Yeah. And if this is part of maybe your daily routine or you really enjoy this, we would love for you to leave us um, a comment or a rating or, um, you know, share this with others. So we really appreciate you guys and you are why we are here every week. Rain or shine. There you go. There you go. All right. So we'll, we'll jump right into it. Uh, three industry news stories, three member news stories this week. As always, I'll let Aubriana lead us off on the industry uh, comings and goings. Here we go. Yeah, well, I'm excited to uh, go over to sunny uh, LA for this story because uh, it's, you know, we had kind of a sad, sad uh, wrap up to our baseball season here in Atlanta mm. last night. It womp was womp. Uh, womp womp is just not enough sentiment for what happened in game hey. five. But Sorry, yeah. Josh Donaldson abandoned the Blue Jays and now, you know, went over there to lose. So uh, it's okay. Okay. All yeah. right. Sorry. Just dust that off and, and move on here. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about Snapchat. So Snapchat is kind of trying to do something new and they are merging traditional with something a little bit more future forward. Um, so they're taking traditional billboards and they are bringing in AR. So they're doing this for their Snap Originals, which um, you know, I have Snapchat. I'm not super active on it, but for those that are super active on it, they started this um, original content, like streaming their own shows last October. So they've been at this for a year now and have had several seasons of some of their uh, streamed shows. And these are uh, premium content that's made specifically for mobile users and mobile shows. Um, so now what they've done here, well, there in LA is they've um, created a billboard around one of these or a few of these different shows and there is a snap code along with you know a traditional billboard talking about the original show that they have um that's there within snapchat so what snap users can do is they can scan the snap code with their snapchat app and then it gives them the ability to unlock these exclusive like lenses and features for the next 24 hours um, so after they've done that, they can take like 10 steps back and then point their device at the actual billboard and they create this AR experience. So it looked like from the pictures that they could actually like put them inside of the show and inside of the content, I think. Um, and so they did this by, by a partnership that they have with an agency there called Paper Triangles. So they create Snapchat lenses and things of that nature and they're based in, um, in Los Angeles as well. So 
Um, and then, you know, they can share this video or content with their friends or on their snap story, whichever. So, I mean, whatever. I think this is like weird and not effective, but maybe I'm missing the point. I think the content creation is very cool. And that's what is great about Snapchat is the, the, um, the time sensitivity to catch whatever is on there because it's there today, gone tomorrow. Um, but you know, the whole like bringing this together, I don't really know what the point was. And you know, you have to be there in person and it's very, it's very like centralized but you know, Snap's based in the LA area, so I guess it's like a great place for them to sort of try out some new stuff and it's not a really expensive thing to do maybe, but I mean, for as much money as they did invest in it, I would say it's likely too much for any type of um, you know, benefit that they get from this. So I don't know, you know, if it was like, hey, within our content, Pepsi's sponsoring it and then, you know, Pepsi's footing the bill, then maybe there's like some, you know, brand consumer goods content type of partnership that they could work together. But to me, this is just a little bit meaningless. Yeah. All right. So um, here's my first thought on this. So I, I like the general use case of using Snap or some kind of image recognition AR tool um, to activate a billboard. So I'm a big proponent, the LVMA's big proponents of these linkages between mobile uh, applications and physical billboards. I think if you can find a way to take a billboard, which is a mass media still, uh, and make it something that is one-to-one -one, you know, engaging, um, then I think you've accomplished something um, that you can actually show that the billboard's doing something. Um, so I like it from that point of view. Uh, the specific campaign here and whether it's going to drive any engagement around these shows or whatnot, I'm less enthused about because I'm, I, I don't get it. Number one, I'm not in that, in that category. I don't use Snapchat. Um, you know, my kids do. Um, but perhaps there's a demographic for kind of seeing yourselves in this kind of content, you know, and, and that kind of posting, you know, I, I had to get an education from my, uh, my daughter and son the other, uh, other week about what a visco girl is. I never even not familiar with that. Are you familiar with that term? No. So apparently like it's a whole thing and it came from, there was a, there's an app called visco. I know about um, that. Yeah. So there, but there, but there's this whole culture around this now of what it means to be a visco girl, and you have to like use a certain kind of water bottle and wear a certain kind of shoes, and you have to use metal straws, and you have to. Um, it's all about this aesthetic thing, and and they're big into going and taking photos with you know on walls with like wings and stuff like like a unicorn flying. So maybe all that kind of stuff is fits into this kind of genre of you know, creating that kind of content. It, to me, it's a super narrow segment of the population, um, but I'm not part of it, so I can't speak to it. Um, but I, I do like the, you know, the sort of billboard to mobile engagement piece of it. So if they can find, uh, you know, more and more ways to use Snap in, in that arena, maybe in, other than, you know, this specific uh, content use case, then I'm all for it. See if our kids are weird. Yeah they are <laughs> that generation is just weird yeah i love them our parents probably said that too about us so there you go oh mine definitely said that so yeah. 
All right. So that's uh, moving on over to our second story. So uh, we'll go uh, up the uh, the coast a little bit now to uh, Sacramento, and um, the uh, Zippin guys. So Zippin is uh, you know we talk a lot, a lot lately about these cashierless stores. We just talked about it on last week's show a little bit, but Zippin is one of the key companies that's sort of building the technology behind these things. So they have their own sort of um, prototype type of store. Uh, for you know, a place in San, in San Francisco area. No, sorry, in in, um, in Sacramento, I guess it is, where you can kind of go and if you're a retailer and you're thinking about moving into this space, you can kind of go and see their their prototype store and check it out um, and figure out if that's something you want to do. Um, but what's cool is in Sacramento with the Sacramento Kings at the Golden One Center now they've uh, launched this technology there. So basically you can go up to a, uh, you know, this cashierless checkout uh, area in, in there and um, using cameras and sensors and all the things that go into this kind of stuff, you can basically grab some items and check out in like 30 seconds, which makes perfect sense to me because this is the kind of environment where you have crowds and crowds of people and long lineups and all that kind of stuff. And if there's a way to speed that up, in a stadium environment or in an airport environment or things like that, I think this is where this kind of technology can can really uh, you know help move people along a lot quicker, um, have a lot more people less frustrated with with you know the lineups and all of that, um, and I think it's a logical place to kind of kind of do this. So um, I don't know, I like it. So what do you think? I like it too. I think that it's a perfect place for it. You know, these are these are times where people don't want to be usually spending a lot of time shopping for things. They want to get back to a game. They want to get back into like whatever the main event is and things of that nature. So, you know, I like the uh, feasibility of this. So I think obviously having choices for the variety of, you know, fans that might visit that area and that stadium is important. But I also, I think to me, this makes sense you know it's kind of almost like that um that captive environment for those pods that were like the cashierless stores with yep. that open and close that they deliver in specific areas so i think i mean this works to me it's smart and it's a great it's a great like test bed for it to see how it does um and kind of figure out what are the other options or other things that could be cashierless or you know just make the the whole um, experience a better one. There you go. So check it out. Zippin at uh, Sacramento Kings uh, Golden One Center. And now to mostly Silicon Valley. Uh, mostly, not all. But the yeah. gig economy, right? Like, let's talk about this. This is really interesting. And it's also kind of frustrating, I think, for all the parties involved. Um, so when I talk about gig economy, what I mean are things like Uber and Lyft and DoorDash and all of, all of these different, uh, apps that are using, you know, basically contract employees that, you know, they sign up to be employees. Um, you know, there's some minor vetting and validating of you as an employee or a driver or whatever they want to call you. Um, and then, you know, you get started, but one thing that these companies have made it very clear that they don't want to have to give the rights and considerations to their drivers um, as employees. So they want their, they want to have the, um, they kind of want to have their cake and eat it too, if you will, right? 
So, um, you know, I think that what California saw is like, this is California obviously has, uh, I would say they're one of the most progressive states in the U S in, ter in terms of labor laws and protecting, um, you know, the workers, whether that's giving insurance to all of the wait staff, you know, if you do that, you have the ability to get insurance and things of that nature. But, um, this recent bill that just passed has the ability to create, create um, all of these drivers into legit employees um, and and to force Uber and Lyft and you know the likes to have to do this. So Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash are still fighting the bill and they're planning to spend $90 million, $90 million to bolster to bolster a ballot initiative that's going to uh, I guess you know make them exempt. So they want to take it a step further and also pledge um, that it will litigate misclassification claims from drivers. Um, labor groups in New York are also looking at replicating this and doing this. They tried to pass this bill in Washington State and Oregon. It did not. Um, it failed to pass. It did not pass. But um, you know, this affects at least one million contract workers who basically have no insurance. You know, they have no unemployment. Um, you know, they have no protections or overtime or anything like that. So if this law does pass, it would go into effect January 1st. Um, you know, my honest thought here is like for companies that are as innovative as these, you are willing to spend $90 million collectively to address this issue. What would happen if instead you invested $90 million into your non-employees um, mm. and said like, hey, we respect you because Uber is nothing without its drivers. Let's be honest. I don't care. They can have all the technology in the world, but without their driving force out there, they are nobody. So why couldn't they invest that and uh, figure out a way to honor the employees and the people that make their billions of dollars every day that they take 50% of every ride share from um, instead of trying to fight this, because I don't think it would have ever gotten this far. And now the challenge is going to be that you have government stepping in that doesn't understand the technology necessarily very well. And they're going to make laws that are probably not going to be good for the businesses in terms of being able to, you know, stay um, iterative and, and future forward. And it's not going to be probably as good for the employees as they would have hoped. So, you know, to me, this is just poor leadership. It's a bad decision. Um, and it's a disappointment that it kind of has come to, to, to this because you know, it's interesting, like we just changed up some of our, our health coverage and, and things like that, but there's different programs now. Think about the so many, you know, drivers that Uber and Lyft and all of these places have. What if they instead created some type of employee coalition where they got all of them very affordable health care coverage mm -hmm. or gave them all some type of overtime or, you know, a co-op where they could come together and they have these opportunities if you Maybe they say, well, if you exclusively drive for Uber, then you get these benefits. Or if you exclusively do this for this one company, then you get this. And so they're honoring loyalty and they're honoring their people and they're investing in them as well. Um, instead, I think they're really shooting themselves in the foot and I am really disappointed. I think this is a very, very poor decision on their behalf. Yeah. All right. So Sorry, um, rant. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Um, so I, I think the notion of, of uh, you know, the law that California is trying to pass here, I think has a ton of merit to it. I think that, um, you know, these companies, as you have 
clearly pointed out, you know, they, they, they really rely so heavily on, on the backs of, of these people, these drivers, these delivery people, these, you know, whatever the, the, you know, and there's, it's not just Uber and Lyft, obviously, and DoorDash, these are the big ones, but there are, you know, probably hundreds of others that would be affected by this as well. Um, and I think that the the challenge here is that when you look at the individual, you know, like the individual driver, let's say, you know, is trying to, you know, what's the test to determine whether they're an independent contractor or they're an employee, right? And I think that at the end of the day, that's what this comes down to, because, um, you know, if that if that individual, um, you know, has a full time job somewhere and are covered by insurance and are an employee there and paying taxes accordingly and all that other stuff. And then they have, you know, they spend two hours a week driving, you know, um, you know, whatever, then they are an independent contractor, um, in my view. Um, but, um, you know, it, it comes down to, you know, what's your level of engagement at the end of the day with these companies relative to, you know, your work, you know, the amount of hours that you have in a work week. Um, and where, you know, where else are those other hours being allocated, right? So I think there, there are some other considerations that, that I think need to play into this because, you know, if that's all you do, then, and you're doing a lot of it and you're meeting the sort of the test for, for that, then yes, you should be considered an employee and have the benefits that come alongside that in my opinion. But, um, it's interesting. I think it, from, uh, a location uh, market perspective, I think that um, you know the gig economy is a huge part of, of what we see. I mean, I, I even 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 not just these types of services, but you think about things like TaskRabbit, Zarly, all these other types of platforms we've talked about over the years that are part of the gig economy. They're part of the underemployed you know workforce that's out there. Um, you know, I think uh, there's lots of implications for this that that need to be considered. So. On the one hand, I'm glad they're sort of taking time to figure it out. And on the other hand, I think, you know, that some of these companies could be better spending the 90 million bucks. So, yeah. All right. All right. So that's our three industry news stories for this week. We'll shift over now to our member news. Um, and I'll kick it off with a story about Michael's stores. So Michael's, uh, very well-known arts and crafts uh, supply uh, store, company out of Dallas uh, area and um, they have announced a partnership with UPS uh, the delivery company um, or logistics company uh, and so they are rolling out uh, what are called UPS access point uh, locations in more than 1100 Michael stores nationwide so customers can ship UPS packages directly to a Michael store drop off pre-labeled shipments and make returns uh, to e-commerce retailers that were shipped by UPS. So this is like a full-on service thing. This isn't just pick up your package. Like it, you can actually drop off packages that you want shipped out pre-labeled uh, from these access points in a Michael store. Uh, I think it's, you know, for me, when I first read this, I'm like, I, like I, I don't really see the correlation. I still struggle a little bit with the correlation between Michael's and a UPS access point. Um, like, I, I don't know what the, the volume of traffic is like, but maybe that's the point of this is to try and drive more traffic to, to a Michael's uh, store here. But uh, certainly they have the footprint, 1,100 stores across the country. Um, I think that makes sense. Um, and I think that, um, you know, that uh, they can probably see, you know, a, a lot of traffic resulting from this. Um, because I don't think that there's, 
probably not enough of these access points out there in the network currently, um, just on their own, where, you know, there's a lot of these stores out there. They're typically in the, in these sort of, um, you know, sort of complexes where, you know, there's a Home Depot and there's a Lowe's and there's a this and then there's like, you know, all that. So then there's plenty of these sort of, um, you know, multi-retail uh, tenancy type of uh, build-outs out there. And Michael's is typically part of those types of installations. We have one like a stone's throw from, from my house uh, up here too. So, you know, and I couldn't tell you where the UPS um, store was offhand. So um, if I knew that was there, I can certainly see it makes it much easier to, to kind of um, think about how to do that. Yeah, I mean, I find it interesting as well. Like, is there an influx of people that are shipping scrap booking supplies? I don't know. But, uh, you know, it kind of makes me think of like, um, I, I don't know if you guys have this in Toronto, but here in Atlanta, we obviously have an influx of Hispanic population. And so one thing that is like pretty common are these like, farmers market type places and it's not just like a food farmers market but it's like all these little mini pop-ups are inside this ginormous like warehouse size like a Lowe's size place right so you go yeah. in and there's like there's the panaderia with the bakery and all that stuff and then you've got like the shoe stuff you know shoe repair shoe store then you've got like the grocery store, you know, everything is in there. Whatever you want is like a one-stop shop, but they're all individual retailers. So it kind of makes me think like, hey, maybe they were onto something like way before. Um, but what I do see is that I think it cuts down on the amount of overhead that UPS would need, right? So instead of having to find their own locations, they're inside of another location. Uh, the benefit, obviously, to Michael's, as you mentioned, is, you know, getting more foot traffic in there because if you come in, you're likely going to buy something else as well or at least take a look around. Um, so, I mean, I I get it. It makes sense. I think that it's a, you know, it's a partnership, right? So I think they're both helping each other. Um, well, one's helping one drive down cost and, you know, increase accessibility. And the other is, is boosting some type of, uh, you know, access to bringing people into the store and generating more foot traffic. So although it is a very weird crossover, um, you know, like you mentioned, there, there are in a lot of like strip malls and you know, yeah. these centers. So why not? Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, keeping on the UPS actually, uh, topic this is another story with them and this one is a little more interesting for me but UPS has actually gotten approval on a package delivery drone fleet this is like pretty huge to me and you think about um, the ability to deliver packages at scale which is what UPS already does but now bringing in a drone fleet to be able to do this um, is pretty amazing and what they'll be able to do so they um, are joining in that drone delivery space along with some other uh, people that we've talked about recently, including Google's Alphabet um, with their wing, um, like that single pilot drone that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. uh, but they do have their FFA, FAA certification, so they're good for the fleet on this. And they can expand delivery to hospitals and college campuses to fly drones out of sight. I mean, can you imagine like a drone's delivering like, the kidney for the transplant. I mean, it's crazy, but it's so cool to think about just this world that we live in today. And what does this mean for all of us, you know, from um, an accessibility to emergency things that hospitals may need, whether it's, you know, maybe the ability to quickly deliver, you know, 
blood for transfusions when there's uh, you know, some type of a, a critical event that's happened somewhere, or, you know, I don't know what a good example is for, for campuses, but college campuses, but I'm sure there's lots of things that, you know, college kids need. Yeah. <laughs> Kegs and that beer delivery. Yeah. And uh, books, of course, mm -hmm. uh, for your parents out there. But right. yeah, I mean, I think this is awesome. It's really exciting. I don't really have a ton to talk about but it's just like what a what a cool time to be living in and and seeing all of this stuff happening yeah no i think it's super interesting i mean we obviously we've talked about a bunch of these types of things over the last couple of years but to have approval for an entire fleet as opposed to like these one-off you know single drone tests and things like that that we've we've seen mostly i think is is fascinating i love the description you just gave of, of the hospital use cases these emergency use cases you think about especially cities with like super uh, packed, you know, congestion and traffic. And, you know, uh, you know, you think about an ambulance trying to get through, you know, a New York, New York city traffic jam or something. Or the like cost that. of a helicopter, you have to find a pilot. Yeah, you have right. to but if you could just fly it from one hospital to the next or, or what have you, I mean, uh, via drone and bypass all that. I mean, it makes complete sense to me. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't have a ton to add to this, but I, but I'm, I'm super sort of happy about, you know, this moving forward and yeah, looking forward to seeing kind of what it can do for uh, changing the game. So, all right. Our final uh, member news story for this week. Uh, so jumping over to, uh, one of our German member companies, uh, Wirecard, uh, is, uh, teamed up with a company called SES Imag Imagotag. It's, uh, I-M-A-G-O-T-A-G. -A -A um, so I was uh, just in New York um, and uh, uh, had a chance to actually attend the, uh, the Wirecard um, Innovation Day that was going on there that they hosted and, and, and SES uh, was there as well, kind of presenting this mashup. And so what we're talking about here is Wirecard is a very well-known uh, player in kind of uh, payment solutions and payment processing uh, in Europe. They're pushing more and more into uh, the North American market now. Uh, and they have a number of innovations there. When I was at the, at, at the conference, uh, they have smart mirror uh, technology with built-in payments. They have uh, voice uh, commerce. So they actually went through a demo with a Amazon Alexa where you could order um, tickets to you know, a ball game or a concert or whatever and actually have it all pay uh, integrated directly through Alexa and all that as well. Um, so, so they're all about that sort of pain, you know, sort of seamless payments processing and engagement piece. But one of the other parts of that, um, that they were showing is this SES Imagotag, um, partnership. And so what, what these guys do is they make digital shelf labels. Um, and so a lot of retailers, grocery in particular, uh, you know, are starting to roll these things out in their stores. I know the, the local grocery store here near me has, uh, digital uh, labels on the shelf now, um, Historically, though, like they're they're mostly around sort of uh, the, the the pricing changes and things like that, um, and and that that's pretty much the limit of them. But some of the stuff that I saw at, at the conference was not just you know pricing labels, and these are like these could be like big you know sort of labels that you know are sort of half page of paper size, you know, down to like the sort of standard small, you know, pricing label stuff. But what I liked about it is, is that they had, uh, you know, all sorts of other capabilities integrated into the, into the label itself. So, you know, you could have a, a barcode on there, you could have a QR code on there. Uh, you it had built in uh, NFC kind of capabilities. You could tap, uh, 
and, and engage uh, with the content there uh, on the labels as well. So there's like a, a number of, of different um, ways to sort of uh, engage with, with these things. So they've got, um, they're projecting that uh, companies uh, will be using more than 100 million cloud connected smart labels uh, to process payments. And so again, it's back to sort of the payment integration directly in the label. Um, piece of it. So I think that's interesting too. Um, if you can think about, you know, the cashierless store we were talking about earlier and ultimately, you know, being able to tap something, you know, like, like, like the, the pricing label and sort of add that to your basket or things like that. Um, I think there are a lot of interesting ways that we can see this move forward. They also have couponing capabilities or e-couponing capabilities built into, uh, you know, into the, into the label, um, terminal as well. So, very cool stuff. Yeah, I mean, this is interesting. I think of, you know, maybe being able to like get quicker information um, on nutri nutrients or um, ingredients in products, I think is something that could be really helpful in this type of a situation, right? Obviously being able to pay for it is, is great as well, but just having all of that information and if you're looking for something specific, as you know, there's like lots of additives and in unnecessary ingredients in many of the food products or, you know, even just like self-care products and things of that nature. So, you know, being able to kind of use um, these types of tagging, you know, pieces, not only for payment, but also for uh, maybe it's um, recommended products with similar ingredients or, you know, recommended, uh, you know, substitutions of something's out or like whatever it may be. But it sounds like there's a lot of data that can be contained right there and, and providing that to consumers obviously is, is important. For sure. Yeah. Super cool. Well, um, it, yeah, take a look at it. Wirecard is the company, uh, teaming up with, uh, S E S, uh, Imago tag, I think is how you say it. Um, but, uh, yeah, check those guys out. They're doing really interesting things. So that's our show for this week. Uh, you've been listening to episode number 436 of This Week in Location-Based Marketing. Uh, of course, we'll be back uh, with yet another show for you. And if you have not bought your ticket to Retail Loco yet, you're running out of time, folks. We're uh, you know, just about a, a week away now. Um, and uh, yeah, so just go to retaillo.co. Uh, great agenda, lots of cool speakers there, a lot of interesting brands uh, um, that are going to be uh, sharing their insights on what's going on. And uh, yeah, so uh, get, get your ticket, make your way to Atlanta, um, and we'll see you on October 21st and 22nd. All right. Bye, everyone. Have a great week. <laughs>